0: Good evening, everyone. It's a very wide congregation this evening, <laughs> so I'm going to be spinning a lot. Well, uh, my name's Adam, if you haven't met me yet. Um, I hang out here sometimes. And um, last week, who remembers what Basil spoke about last week? Suffering. Baptism into suffering, yeah. And um, he touched on two kinds of suffering. Um, can anyone remember what they were? <laughs> That's cheating. You, you you, do remember, yes. Yeah, so self-inflicted and persecution. Self-inflicted. And he didn't use the phrase persecution. He used the phrase... You may answer. No, you don't remember either. <laughs> <laughs> taking a godly stand. My wife's offering me her glasses. I'm good. I can see my notes because they're far enough away. Um, so he, he talks about two kinds of suffering, the self-inflicted suffering and the suffering that comes upon us as a result of taking a godly stand. You know, like gold refined in a furnace, so sometimes God uses suffering that we'll have in our lives to bring us to a place of greater maturity or greater faith or greater wisdom or... Greater greaterness. and um, also um, you know that that thing of self inflicted suffering, the school of hard knocks. How life is tough, but it's even tougher if you're stupid. Um, and so you know sometimes the things we do is going to play into who we are. Uh, Proverbs fourteen um, verse one says, "The wisest of women builds a house, but folly with her own hands tears it down." Verse eleven. Um, says, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. This is very binary thinking. This is very like, you do this, you get this result. You do the other, you get the other result. And and the book of Proverbs is full of this kind of thinking. This is, um, you know, if you suffer, it's self-inflicted. If you prosper, that's also self-inflicted. That's the way that Proverbs thinks. And so when we're looking at the wisdom books in the Bible, we have the book of Proverbs, but there's also other wisdom books. One of the other wisdom books is the book of Job. And this is the other one that um, uh, Basil spoke about last week, the idea of... The result of taking a godly stand. Job is a righteous man. He's done nothing wrong. He's done everything right. He's righteous. He's even righteous on behalf of other people just in case they're not getting it right. So he makes sacrifices on behalf of his sons and daughters. But then still, in one day, everything is wiped out. He has seven sons, three daughters. They're all killed. All of his cattle and herds and camels and sheep, everything is taken from him. He loses everything, not because he's done anything wrong. But there is a testing that's happening there at that time. So these two books, we've got Job, which shows us suffering as a result of taking a godly stand. We've got Proverbs that shows us how we can might encounter self-inflicted suffering. And then there's this other book amongst the wisdom books, Ecclesiastes. And this is one that a lot of people avoid. But Ecclesiastes shows us another picture of suffering. And um, uh, let's read Ecclesiastes 2.14. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Okay, hang on, that's not right. Because if he's wise, surely it should go well. And if he's a fool, it'll go poorly. No, that's Proverbs. This is Ecclesiastes. Okay. But is it because God's judging him? Doesn't say that. Is it because God's refining him? Doesn't say that. It just says that the same event happens to them both. That would be Job. This is Ecclesiastes. And so as we read through Ecclesiastes, I'm not going to read it all now. There's a lot of it. I do encourage you to read it. Like I say, a lot of people avoid it because it can be a bit, well, it can be a bit depressing, frankly, um, because it tells us things like this it tells us that nothing lasts. It tells us that life is fleeting. It tells us that bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Um, And so we can start to read it and go, well, what's the point? Which is exactly what the writer says. He says, meaningless, meaningless, or in some translations, vanity, vanity. All is vanity. He says, what's the point? And we'll get to that later. Matthew 5, verse 45, Jesus actually says a similar thing. He says, Your Father is in heaven. Um, He says, He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, in those days, the sun and the rain both count as blessings. Just like if you were living in Port Elizabeth right now, or you'd be believing that rain was a blessing. You know, um, it's it's what you know in an agricultural context. You want sun and you want rain, so both of these are blessings. And yet, God gives them to the evil and the good, and He gives them to the just and the unjust. You go, well, where's the fairness in that? No, that would be Proverbs. <laughs> And now we're in Ecclesiastes. And so it's not that these are conflicting views of suffering, but they are contrasting views. And that it brings a different understanding than the other. So on the one hand, what I do impacts on me negatively and I suffer. On the other hand, God is testing me or refining me like gold in a furnace. But in this case, well, why is this happening? And the answer sometimes is, that we just live in a broken and fallen world. Nowhere is this more evident than in death. Um, It is the ultimate statistic. One out of every one people die. We all do. Um, (laughs) No, it's true though, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, so it's it's difficult because when we talk about death, we want to be respectful and we want to be like, you know, but then also at the same time, it's, it's so unavoidable. It's so prevalent. It is everywhere. Every single person dies. You know what I often think about, and I think it's strange, because you know, we read in the Bible how Lazarus was raised from the dead. You know what happened later? He died. With the exception of Jesus, every person who was raised from the dead died again. What happened to every one of the people that Jesus healed? That he'll died. It's one of these things where you kind of go, you know what? Actually, there are some things that just happen to everyone because that's the world we live in. Now, were we ever meant to die? I, I don't think we were meant to die. If we look at Genesis 3:19, um there's this moment in history, and I say in history because it is actually part of human history. This happened was a long time ago. It's not prehistory because it's recorded for us in the Bible, and so we have a reliable account of what went down. There was two people at that time on Earth, a man and his wife. The man was called Adam, and his wife, as yet unnamed, um, later became called Eve. And so these two are living in a garden that God has. Made for them, planted for them. On a world he has created. And everything is good. And yet even with everything being good, they choose to sin. And when they choose to sin, the Bible tells us much later in the book of Romans, death reigns. In other words, the entry of sin is an entry point for death to then begin to reign. And so, because of them sinning, all die. And at that point, God says this He says, By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So we eat from the ground things made of dust, we ourselves are made of dust, and then ultimately we go back to being dust. And this is the circle of life. Um, Disney wrote a song about it. Um, So we can pray for healing and see people healed, and then they'll die. And we can pray for the dead to be raised, and they'll be raised, and then they'll die. Ultimately, there are some things that just come to everyone. And so... Are those things things we shouldn't just worry about then? No, these are things that cause extreme pain to us emotionally, sometimes physically. And these are moments of suffering. And so we need to consider then, well, what does that look like? How do we process that? Because sometimes suffering is it's almost easier if we have someone to blame. Oh, I'm so silly. I did this to myself but well, now at least i can apportion blame you know or he's so silly he did that to himself now i don't have to feel guilty you know if there's suffering because of something i did well that's that's okay then at least we've squared the equation you know we've balanced the ledger we understand this but then well, even if it was like, well, I'm suffering, but I know that God's just, you know, he's doing something in me through this. I, I'm okay because I know what he's doing is good. Well, what if it's just because? What if it's just because life happens and, and that's what happens? Um, and, and like I say, not to focus exclusively on death because there are many kinds of suffering that happen in the world. Um, but when we consider the, the moment of death, obviously... The person who's dying may suffer, but also after they've passed, those of us who love them suffer. I mean, many of us in this congregation have lost people we love in the last one or two years. And it is never, ever a small thing. Lucy, who lives with us, lost both her parents in 10 months. And you go, no, we didn't make a big thing of it. But for her, it was a massive thing, you know. And, and often we, we, we feel like, why on earth did this happen? And the answer is, because that's life. And that's not the answer we want to hear. Because it's not comforting. There's no grand purpose in that answer. But sometimes that is the answer. Sometimes. Sometimes that is the answer. And then somehow we still need to process that and move on with our life. Because we're not those who are called to mourn as those who have no hope. There is this hope in Jesus that's for us. And yet we experience pain. And it's not just pain in that moment. The pain carries on. Next time there's a birthday or the anniversary of that death or, or something like that. Or all the firsts that happen after someone passes. And each one of those is a uniquely painful moment that we have to process and, and somehow get ourselves through. Regrets. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. Um, no, I mean, we experience in the face of death, we experience regret things we haven't said, things we did say that now we can't take back. Um, that, that's a huge thing. And for me, one of, the, one of my big regrets out of the last season of my life was that before Will passed, I'd been stepped off eldership because of sin in my life, and we went for breakfast the one morning and... Um, He was talking about, you know, you need to get yourself together, come back on, sort your life out, get back on eldership, because he was an encourager. And he said, just set a date, man, just, you know, April, you know, come back on. Well, before April came around, he'd passed away. And I was still just this washed up loser of an elder who hadn't got his act together. And somehow I had to process that. I had to get through that. And then come around April, guess what happened? (laughs) I came back on eldership, but he wasn't there. I know he's in heaven, but honestly, I, I don't know if they actually spend that much time leading over the ramparts like everyone says. I think, honestly, that's a load of rubbish. <laughs> Frankly, they got much better things to be doing than checking in on us. They're not missing us. Why would they? They're in the presence of Jesus. We have regret when other people pass, and we have to process that, and that causes us pain. And we don't know what to do with that pain And sometimes people say really stupid things in the middle of that pain. And then that adds to our pain. Why am I talking about pain? This is a really depro summer holidays message, isn't it? You know, like, what on earth? Because this is real life. This is real life, isn't it? We go through pain. We don't know what to do with the pain. And then people add to the pain. Regrets. Anger. Why would God allow this to happen, particularly to them? They're such a good person. They've loved God so well. They've served the body so well. I'm not now just talking about death. I'm talking about pain, suffering, sickness, disease, loss of income, loss of earnings, loss of property. So many of the things that happen in life that don't always come because of a serious like, mistake on the person's part. Maybe it's just because life is broken and the world is broken and pain happens. And now we're angry at God because God allowed the pain. Why did God take this person? Why did God allow them? Man, they're, so, they're such good people. Why would that happen to them? Or, and this is the classic, but they're just a child. What did they ever do to hurt anyone? The truth is they didn't do anything to hurt anyone. This is not cause and effect. This isn't the result of sin. This is because the world is a broken place. And so bad things happen to what we would term good people. Now we know, Jesus said, no one is good but God. But we make calculations continually in our mind. We're constantly equating a good person against a bad person and and elevating them in our opinion. And therefore, their worth and what they should get in life is elevated because we see them as a better person or a cuter person an innocent person no one is innocent we're born sinners from a mother's womb we are sinners on our way to hell and it's the grace of god that rescues us it's the grace of god it's true that the wise woman builds her house and the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands but there's other reasons that houses fall down was there an earthquake was there a flood? Was there a whirlwind? In Jesus' day, he was talking with some of the guys and they were asking about something terrible that happened to some Galileans. They'd been sacrificing um, to the Lord and the Romans had come and killed them and mixed their blood with the blood of the offerings. I mean, horrific. You think this is not just a horrible thing to do to someone, this is sacrilege. This is like blasphemous. And, and this has been perpetrated against these people. And they're going, you know, what, what did they do wrong to deserve that? And Jesus basically says, why do you think they did something wrong? Like, what? But surely they didn't deserve it then. Well, why do you have to deserve something for it to happen? Luke 13. Jesus goes on to say, what about those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse offenders Than all the others who lived in Jerusalem. You have a part of the city. A tower in the city. Has collapsed. And it's killed 18 people. He's saying do you think they were worse sinners? Do you think they earned. The tower falling on them. Or did it just happen? And then what he says is. Repent. Of your sins. (laughs) Because everyone dies. Likewise we all perish. But. Where we are when we perish is really important. Who we know when we perish is really important. Are we in relationship with God? When, when everything is against us, when it feels like everything has gone wrong, man, then, are we, are we in a place where we can comfortably step through the final curtain and meet the Savior? And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so we have choices. Accidents happen, natural disasters, all kinds of things. But he says, unless you repent, the same happens to everyone. But it's dependent on your repenting that you're going to end up in the right place. There was a sick man brought to Jesus in John 9, 3. And they say, was it this man who sinned or was it his parents who sinned? Sickness is a horrible thing. It's part of the fall of creation. God didn't put sickness into the world when he made the world. It happened because of man's selfishness and his sinfulness. And so sickness comes into the world. And now there's this man and he's actually got a condition that's caused him to be blind from birth. And um, the people ask, is it his sin or his parents' sin? We think, well, I mean, that's a bit unkind, isn't it? Because this kid, he's been blind from birth. How can it be his sin? Well, then it must be his parents' sin. This is the maths. So this is the logic of Proverbs, you know. And Proverbs is not wrong. Proverbs is in the Bible. Sometimes it does work like that, but sometimes it doesn't work like that. And that's why Ecclesiastes is also in the Bible. Sometimes it is God trying us. That's why Job is in the Bible. But right now, Jesus is giving an Ecclesiastes answer. <laughs> he says, "No." It's not that this man sinned. It's not that his parents sinned. But God is going to take an opportunity here to be glorified through this man's situation. And, and like that word that came through Anton in the worship, sometimes we feel like that, that target paper that's just shot full of holes and we just feel like, man, we're just empty from all the pain, from all the things that we've encountered, from the stuff that's gone in our lives. And, you know... We, we could have a contest to see who's seen the most suffering. And I'm sure it will be someone other than me who wins. You know, I feel like God's been good to me. But even that, was well, God not being good to me when something goes wrong? Like we use this language all the time. I'm so blessed. Why? Because you got a pay rise or because you lost your job? Because we're only going to say I'm so blessed on one of those, aren't we? But actually, are we still the blessed child of the most high God when things are bad? Is God different when things are hard? Is God not God when there's pain? No, God is God. He's always God. He's always good. God is no less good when he doesn't spare us. He's as good when he doesn't spare us as when he does spare us. A big part of me wants to say that Jesus isn't saying, <laughs> you know, of course, um, that guy wasn't just given sickness so that God could glorify himself. Because that's kind of a really uncomfortable thing to think about. What if that guy was born blind just so Jesus could heal him? How many years did he had to deal with being blind before Jesus healed him. That's a really heavy thing to think about. And I kind of go, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to imagine that is what Jesus means. But what if it was? Are we okay with that? Is it okay that there could be something we have to endure just so God can get glory? Or are we better than that? Do we not deserve that kind of treatment? It's tricky, eh? It's tricky because we we want to think that we want God to get his glory. We also none of us want pain. I mean like no one wants pain. No, of course we don't want pain. None of us none of us want suffering. None of us want pain. That's not what we signed up for. But sometimes God is glorified in these moments of suffering and in pain. And and so we have to be open to the thought that there could be purpose in that kind of suffering and purpose in that kind of pain even if it only came to us because that's life and the world is broken and, and that sort of thing. So the, the Psalms address this as well. We look at it in, the, in Psalm 37. David, who's always upbeat until he's not, um, <laughs> says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, nor be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Um. But if you go to Psalm 73, Asaph has a slightly different take on things. He says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 5 They're not in trouble as others are, they're not stricken like the rest of mankind. And we live in a country where, I'm not making up rumors, it's been in the news, some of our leaders are corrupt. You know, headlines. So, one could be angered by that. You know, we live in a country where it does appear that reaching a position of power allows you to have one hand in the till. And that's not how we're told to conduct our lives. And so, like Asaph, you can say, well, they're not having troubles like the rest of us. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. This is not fair, God. This is not fair. In in verses 11 to 13, he he talks about people commenting. He says, not me, I'm not saying this, but other people do say this. How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase their riches, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Sure. He's really giving it to God now. It is, not my words, I mean, I'm just telling you what other people are saying, God, but really, they're, kind of, they're calling you out on this one, and, and have you got an answer? Because this is, again, we're getting back into this binary mathematical thinking. I've kept my hands clean, so I deserve better. They got their hands dirty, they deserve worse. But that's not always how life works out. It is, though, how eternity works out. And this is the thing we have to bear in mind. We can never understand pain and suffering without understanding eternity. See, there's that story that Jesus tells. Um, I haven't got the verse for it. Lazarus, who's the beggar, who lays at the gate of the rich man's house. He's had trouble his whole life. His entire life has been pain. He's, he's probably broken in his body. He's certainly broken in his spirit. He lays at this rich man's gate, possibly to get scraps that get thrown out, possibly to get money from rich people coming past to feel guilty because their life is better. He's lain there his whole life, but we understand from the story he must have been devout to the Lord because when he dies, he goes to the place where followers of God go. The rich man in the house, who has had all the luxuries of life and all the pleasures of life, who has never had to worry or want, he also dies. But he goes to the place where followers of God never have to go. And now there's this justice to the story. See, while they were alive, there was no justice, there was no equity, there was no equality, there was no balancing of the scale. But in eternity, there was, by the grace of God, goodness given to that one who had followed God. And that's something we have to wrestle with and reason with and balance in our own hearts and minds. This thought that actually eternity is the only place where justice truly exists. That's the good news. The the bad news is that justice always kills everyone because everyone deserves death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserve anything good. Anything good that comes to us is the grace of God. So then we receive his mercy. We give our life to Jesus. We receive his mercy. We receive his grace. What do we deserve now? Nothing. Still. But by his mercy and his grace, he gives to us because he's a good father. He loves to give good gifts to his children. The Bible tells us these things. All of these things are true. So he heals us our diseases, he provides our needs. Those things are not, not you know, that, we're not saying that's not true. But we're also saying sometimes life happens. So there's a tension here. Do you see what I'm saying? Like By the end of tonight, I don't want you to stop thinking that God heals people. I don't want you to stop thinking that God would raise the dead. He absolutely can. Absolutely has. He can provide all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's in the Bible too. But also, sometimes life is hard. And then you die. And that's Tough but after you die if your life belongs to him then you get to enjoy all he is if your life is not with him it gets worse after you die and and that's that's the eternal perspective on pain that's the eternal perspective on suffering say well it doesn't help me much now respectfully it could Because in that moment of pain, and I'm going to go into this a little bit more in a moment, in that moment of pain, sometimes we haven't always got a clear perspective. And sometimes we need to be reminded of something like the eternal view. Say, my pain now is so sore. It's so horrible. I don't feel like I deserve this. But actually, I'm so grateful that I'm saved. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you love me. And I don't understand what's happening now, but I do know that you care for me. It's this this thing between our justice, our version of justice, and God's version of justice. Comparison is a really dirty trick the devil plays on us. Really dirty trick. So you have a hard life. You suffer a lot. You experience pain. Maybe you have disease in your body. Maybe a loved one has sickness. And, and you go through life with all these challenges and all of these things. Maybe you don't have a lot of income, and so you live very sparsely. You don't have luxuries. You don't go on holidays. You get through life. Having done all of that, it would be very easy to look at the guy with the house on the hill and say, well, their life is better than mine. What did they do to deserve that? It's just the, it's just the lottery of birth, isn't it? You know, white privilege or whatever it is. And um, and the Bible tells us to think differently. It tells us to be grateful. It tells us to be thankful. That's not to say there isn't injustice in the world. What it means is that injustice is part of what we have to go through. Injustice happens. Now, as much as it depends on us, let us never be us who's causing the injustice. And if it's in our hands to do, maybe we can right the injustice. But Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. In other words, he says, as long as we're in this life, none of this can be absolutely fixed. But when we reach eternity, sure, well then some of these things we begin to see in a very different way. And so there's this thing of God's justice. All our filthy rags of righteousness count for nothing. Nothing we can do can make us acceptable to God. It says, even if I give my body to be burned, but if I haven't got his love in me, it counts for nothing. And even if I have his love in me, it doesn't count for my credit because he gave me that love. (laughs) So ultimately, it all comes from him. My life is just giving it back to him. Ephesians 2 4 to 5 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Um, And verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God not the result of works, so that no one can boast. So we've got Proverbs with the binary cause and effects thinking. We've got Job with that thing of God testing us, refining us, perhaps even punishing us. His friends thought it was that. And then we've got Ecclesiastes, that sometimes life happens just because. So things to consider in this. Um, and I've been, I've been researching, I've been talking to people who have been through hard things lately um, because... Like I say, I don't, I don't count myself to have suffered greatly in life. But working in the church, you get to rub shoulders with a lot of people in a lot of states and conditions of life. And so these aren't all my own ideas. But um, one of the things that came up in talking to folks was that you can't always choose your support system. And Job certainly demonstrates this well. He has a wife who recommends he should just curse God and die. And he has friends who say it's all his fault. That's who he's got. So then he has to know the God he serves. He has to know God. He has to know God really well. He didn't have a wonderful Christian pastor to come alongside him and say, Ey. but remember what the word says. No, he had to have that hidden in his heart. And the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. And one of the things that happens sometimes in pain is we begin to sin against God. That's what Job's wife meant was curse God and die. Because she knew all you have to do is just commit blasphemy or something. And then the next time the lightning will hit you, not the kids. You know, last time it hit the house and the kids all died. And this time you just curse God, the lightning bolt will hit you and it's tickets. It's over. You're done. That's what she meant there. That's not great advice. I wouldn't, give, I wouldn't give that advice. But there are moments where you feel like that. Where you feel like, Lord, let it just be me next. It's hard. It's, you know, and life is getting on top of you. And, and, and so you begin to start thinking like that. You can't, always support, you can't always choose your support system. But you need to resist bitterness. You need to resist comparison and, and those sort of things. All those things lead to self-pity. And self-pity is that mistaken feeling that you don't deserve what's happened when all of us deserve death. But by the grace of God, he's given us better. Self-pity is, is again, it's one of those pitfalls that we can fall into in these moments of pain or suffering. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18, the shortest verses in the Bible Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When I'm in pain, maybe I have a disease in my body. I don't know if it's the will of God for me to have that disease or not. I do know it's his will for me to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Maybe I can pray that the sickness will leave. And if it's not his will that it be there, it will leave. Because I can pray according to his will for it to leave and it will go. But it's always his will for me to rejoice. And, And like I mentioned earlier, I'm coming back to that point. It's easy for the person in pain to say, it's easy for you to say. That's easy for you to say. So now you're the Christian friend, you've, you've read your Bible, you know that the right verse to mention right now is rejoice always, and they're in pain, and you come to them, you say "Be you know, rejoice always, and they say that's easy for you to say. And it is, because you're currently not in pain. They're the one in pain. You're, you're outside the pain thing. And so you can remember verses like that, because life for you at the moment feels good by comparison, and for them, they're not ready to hear that. But this is where we need each other. Going back to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. You see, actually when we fall into, and this isn't all, when it says here falling, it literally means tripping over. It's not talking about sin. It's not talking about anything like that. It's just talking about two people on a walk and there's a, a bump in the road and dunk down they go. Or one of them goes. And if you're together, your, your, your person, your neighbor, your, your friend, your loved one can pick you up. If you're alone, you're left sprawling. And now like a tortoise on his back, you've got to somehow get yourself up. And that's much harder. And so... Here, I want to look, just in closing, at how do we be that good companion? How do we be that one who lifts the other one up? Without putting stuff in their face, it's just going to make things worse, but also not allowing them to wallow into self-pity and move into a place where actually they're, they're sinning against God now by, by turning their heart against him. That's, it's really important we don't allow that to happen. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day. As long as it's called cool today, then none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. One of the things that happens, pain can begin to work on us so much that we just actually we get so used to the feeling of pain. Like, guitarists will appreciate this metaphor. Okay, So, <laughs> I think Brad used this when he was preaching recently. The whole thing of calluses on your fingers. When you're a guitarist, you play guitar, and initially it hurts like bilio. I'm not sure what bilio is, but it's an expression. So it hurts like bilio, and you've got these, these like grid lines across your finger ends where you've been pressing on the strings. Give it enough time, your strings harden. Your fingers harden. The strings stay the same. Your fingers harden. Why? Because of continued pain, because of continued contact with that thing which is hard and is immovable and is not going to give, and so your finger gives. Over time, it becomes calloused. The same thing that can happen with us. When we're experiencing pain, we can become calloused. What that leads to, well, it's the deceitfulness. Like I said, um, comparison is a dirty trick. It can, it's a deceitful thing that moves us towards a, a sin. Comparison, self-pity, these are, uh, these are deceitful things that move us towards sin. And so if I'm going to be that good companion, I'm going to help my friend not go there. I'm going to encourage them, exhort one another daily. I'm going to be telling them things like rejoice always, but I'm not going to just give them a fridge magnet because that's going to not work (laughs) because they're in pain and the last thing they need is your fridge magnet. Okay, So now I I want to be real practical for this. I I did take a a lot of advice from my wife who's way more empathetic than I am and I also spoke to Lucy who's had people love her really well and and, um, yeah, let's see how this goes. But Like I say, turning up the first day that someone is experiencing pain and saying, hey, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, that is a dumb move. The reason being, if that's the first time you've turned up in their life, they're not ready to receive you. We need to be working on our relationships now so that when hard time comes, we already have that person next to us. We don't want to fall down when we're on our own we want to fall down when we're next to someone, because then they can pick us up. So we already need to be next to each other. We need to be walking like we love each other already before we need to. Now, who knows that costs? Loving people before you need to takes time, takes energy. It takes your, your, your Monday night or your, or your Thursday evening, you know. It, it takes commitment. It takes going to their house and having them to your house. When At the moment, there's no need for this because they're fine. I'm fine. Yeah, but one day you're not fine and then you need them. So the investment is now. So this starts, the work here starts long before anyone is experiencing pain and long before anyone needs the assistance. But at some point, there could be a moment. Like I say, it could be a sickness. It could be death. It could be loss of work, employment, income. There's lots of things that can go wrong in a person's life. And so normally our first thing is let's do a food roster. Has anyone ever received food on a food roster? Were you grateful for the food? I think most people are normally mostly grateful for the food. And I, this is not me preaching against food rosters, but I just want to highlight it is not the only form of compassion in the world. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it can be a useful start. It can be. But honestly, not always. Um, So it can be when people are going through pain that the routine of normal life is actually important for them to keep going. And so if they're used to making their own food, it may be helpful for them to carry on doing that. So check with them what they need. Do they need food or do they need groceries? Maybe you could give them the ingredients they can make the food. And that's a way of showing love without breaking their normal habits. It might be they're so overwhelmed by the moment they need the food. Then give them the meals. So it's a question of knowing the person. And again, you can only get that kind of information if you're already their friend. Otherwise, they just say, thank you, because it's the church giving them meals. It must be the right thing. So no, if they feel they've got permission to say, this isn't the right thing, can, I, can we do different, then that's because you've got real relationship with them so groceries might help more than meals lucy said sometimes just chocolates and flowers is good um that's great advice from lucy thank you um (laughs) chocolates and flowers um that could be great um another excellent piece of advice from lucy um message but don't expect a response (laughs) that's really good advice because don't get offended when they don't respond don't, don't, don't you now fall into offense? They're already struggling with self pity and offense against God. Now you're going to struggle with offense against them? <laughs> you're not even the one going through it. They're going through it. Like, come on. <laughs> but it happens. That's why I'm saying it. It happens. And so we need to love people well in this way. Uh, don't get offended. Expect bad reactions and bad behavior. Extend grace. Have empathy. Be kind. Okay, so I, I have friends that go through a bad situation. I try to get hold of them. They don't respond. That's okay. They're the ones going through the bad situation, not me. Now, I, I, I then do get hold of them, and the conversation is super negative, and they're really unkind. But of course they are. They're going through pain. They're going through suffering. Am I able to handle that, or am I now offended? I went out of my way to talk to them, <laughs> and they were just rude. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There's not much else you can say to that, really. Like, yeah, yeah, that happens. Um, Be present. Words aren't always needed. Sometimes saying stuff is worse than not saying stuff. So if you want to love someone well, be with them. Like I say, they only want you there if you've already been there a hundred times before. They don't want a stranger sitting there. That's creepy. (laughs) Now, you not know, going through the worst pain in your life and some stranger turns up, sits in the corner of your room just looking at you. <laughs> I'm from the church. <laughs> okay. Not ideal. So we've got to make this really practical. You've got to already have been to their house a couple of times, maybe 20, 30, 40 times, so then you know your way around the kitchen. You know how to make the tea. Don't turn up expecting them to make you tea. They're the one in pain. You make the tea. In fact, better than that, bring the tea. So particularly if there's a situation where maybe someone's been through grief, they've lost a loved one, or there's a, a long sickness in a the family, um, there's going to be visitors, right? So again, one of my wife's brilliant ideas. Don't take a meal. Take a bag with tea, toilet paper, milk, sugar. Because they're going to have so many people coming to their house, they're going to run out of all that stuff. So, so now you're going to bless them taking toilet paper. That's actually really practical and it's going to bless them more than another lasagna. Okay. See, that's my wife. She's smart. Okay. So, and when you're visiting, make your own tea. Don't expect to be served. Okay. Now the son of man came <laughs> not to be served, but to serve. That's us. We want to represent Jesus to them. Like Ludwig said, while you're there, do the dishes. Because why not? Um, Okay, here's another really practical one. And this is one I fall into because I'm a dude and I don't think hard enough a lot of the time. Don't say, let me know if you need anything. (laughs) It sounds really nice. It means nothing. You think it does when you're saying it. You think you're being kind. You think you're being generous. You think you're being like you want to serve them in some way. The problem is it's so vague and they're in pain. So they're not thinking in vague terms. They need like, a very particular kind of help in a very particular moment. This is where you can actually use your word of knowledge, gifts of the Spirit. You can be listening to His voice. Seriously, like, you can do this. You can ask God, what should I offer? And, and maybe you're at the shop and you just say to them, I'm at the shop right now. Can I get you something? Is there anything you need? And they're going, I actually just realized we've run out of milk. Perfect. Just milk. I'm not going to take them steak. They asked for milk. (laughs) Because I don't want them to think like I don't think they can't look after themselves. So I'm not going to take them all the other things that I would be getting for me. I'm going to get them the thing they asked for because that respects what they've asked for. And now we continue with good relationship instead of them feeling now like the patient and I'm the doctor. You see? So it's thinking that that sort of thinking is really... So instead of saying, let me know if you need anything, you could be at the shops, give me your shopping list, is there stuff you need? Um, can I come and pick up your washing, bring it back when it's done? That's super practical. If you've had kids vomiting all week, you're all out of linen. And you're up to your arms in it. And, well, I mean, someone saying, let me come and get the bed sheets," and I'll just wash them, I'll bring them back. I'll tumble dry them or I'll take them to the laundromat or whatever. Um... A couple of five Rands in the, in the machine, and you've done all their laundry for them and, and taken it back for them, and now the kids can vomit all over it again <laughs> until you're done with that cycle. So, you know, don't do it once. <laughs> do, it a, do it a few times. Um, but these are really practical ways. Is this, is this making sense? Um, do you need help getting the kids from school? You know, or other things? You know, whatever it is. There's, there's lots of other things. Um, one of the things, if someone has lost a loved one, they might need to go to all kinds of places. They might have to go to you know, lawyers or police stations, or they might have to go to banks. Uh, they might have to go to the mortuary or to a undertakers. They, they might not want to have to do all that stuff on their own. If you already have enough relationship with them, you can probably go with them. If you don't know them, it's very hard to help. In that situation, and so to be able to come along some si- alongside someone in those moments and to love them well is, is really important. And, um, and so, yeah, these are, these are ways we can practically help people. Um, and, and lastly, just don't say stupid stuff. <laughs> I already covered some of the stupid stuff people say, <laughs> but um, heaven must have needed another angel. No. That's not how that works. Like, no. If you're going to say something about heaven and hell, make sure it's theologically accurate. Because the last thing you want to do when someone's already verging towards self-pity is to throw them with a whole bunch of superstitious nonsense that is feeding their flesh instead of their spirit. So, so you, you've got to actually get your facts right if you're going to talk about suffering and death. That was Job's friend's problem. They came along. They didn't have their facts right. They said, oh, you've done something wrong. Well, wait till you hear God. He's got thoughts. He didn't say I did anything wrong. Okay. Everyone's sitting there going, okay, God's got a different take on this. Yeah, don't just give your news and say your thing. Um, You could always have another child or husband or, you know, job or... Whatever it is, the thing that's now departed from your life, like, it's it's really insensitive. Even if it's technically true, not the moment. So these are the kind of things, and sometimes we say stuff to try and comfort or try and reassure. Let's not. Let's rather hear God. We actually have the Holy Spirit inside us. I really encourage you, like I say, you know, the, the the proper advice is if you don't have anything to say, say nothing. That's good. That's good advice. But we also have the Holy Spirit. and He could tell you something to say. It could be so meaningful. It could be so reassuring. I, I had a guy come up to me last week. I was preaching in Somerset West. Never met this guy before. I think he had been there one of the other times I preached, but we didn't meet. And um, at the end of the meeting, he came up to me and just started talking about, are coming move to Australia. And he is someone who had moved overseas for work, and so he had some experience with moving overseas. He understood the situation. At the end of the conversation, he said, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. It's gonna be, there's going to be challenges, like with the culture difference and all that sort of stuff. He said, but um, I do know God's in control. And he's going to look after, and then he just went boom, 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 boom. And he just listed a bunch of things. It was all the things Vanessa and I had been talking about like in the previous two days. like All the things that we need God to sort out. He listed every single one. Now, maybe he just guessed. (laughs) But I feel like he was a godly man. And I feel like what I heard was God saying to me, I've got this. And these are the things I know you're worried about. And these are the things that I've got under control. And so for me, that was hugely encouraging. It wasn't just a random conversation anymore. It was now an encouragement from God. And I want to challenge us. When we're talking to our friends who are going through pain, who are going through hard situations, maybe ongoing sicknesses that seems there's no end in sight, or maybe it's very short and abrupt moments of tragedy or accident, whatever it is, do have an ear open to the Holy Spirit. Don't just make up the first thing that comes into your head. Listen to him. If you're the one going through pain, allow people to pick you up. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. Two is better than one. And if you're not currently in pain, make friends with someone today. (laughs) Because pain is coming to us all. Even if it's just the natural pains of life, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, and ultimately death, that happens to all men. And we need friends in our lives, people who, when we're walking with them, they pick us up, they pick us up, and they can love us, and they can respond to the pain that they see in us, and then we, likewise, can respond to the pain that we see in them. Did we get through that without it being too awfully depressing? Is that okay? Are we good? I, I just, it's one of those things, you know, <laughs> there's some topics you never want to have to talk about. You never feel qualified to talk about. Um, but it's in the Bible, so we talk about it, because this is what happens in life. And so for us to respond, I I spoke a little bit in the middle there about how if you don't have God in your life, then when you do die and death comes to us all, it only gets worse, not better. And the Bible tells us that very clearly. There's one way to be assured of heaven, um, of eternity with God, in the presence of God, There's only one way, and that is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and to allow Him to be the Lord of your life. And that means to direct the course of your life and to make demands on you and for you to follow Him as a Lord as well as a God. Not just God, oh yeah, I've got my God, you know, I've got a sticker on my dashboard of my God. No, 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 this is like a Lord. This is someone who actually rules your life. That is the relationship God wants to have with you. He wants to love you. He does want to be a father to you as well. But he wants you to surrender your life to him. And I want to provide an opportunity. It might be you're here this evening and you've never made that decision to surrender your life to him. And tonight's been an interesting one to listen to. (laughs) Like, like, whoa, it's heavy. Yeah, because life can be heavy. But there is this joy and this hope that can be in us if we've given our lives to Jesus. Not just hope for this life, but hope in the next as well, which is of far more value to us. Far more value. So I'd love us just to close our eyes. And if there's anyone here, you say, that's me. I'm here tonight and I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. I, I, I hear what you're saying this evening and I want to surrender my life to him, If that's you, then while everyone's got their eyes closed, I'd love you just to indicate raising your hand so that I could pray with you and allow God to begin that work in your life. Is there anyone here? Just show me with your hand if that's you. I don't see any hands, so I'm not going to fake it like I did. I'm just going to call it. Is there anyone? You want to just raise your hand and we can pray that prayer together. There's one other response I want to offer this evening, which is this thing I spoke about of the deceitfulness that leads to sin. These things like self-pity, like comparison, these dirty tricks the devil plays on us. The begin is just a thought, but once they've percolated through our minds, we end up in a place of self-pity where we're considering ourselves as being unjustly treated. God hasn't been fair, that life is so hard to just us like it's never been hard to anyone else. And I feel like there's an opportunity for us this evening. If you feel like maybe you've gone to that place that you could respond to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I didn't believe you when you said you were good. I'm sorry that I allowed myself to come to a place of blaming you and not trusting you. And I want to encourage us, you don't need to stand for this, but I do want to encourage you in your heart to do this and do it well. That if you are convicted, as I was talking now, that maybe you have allowed yourself to think life is hard. It's harder for me than it is for everyone else. I encourage you now, reject that lie. Reject that lie. Reject the lie that says you, you, your life is worse. You deserve more pity. Paul said, the person who is to be pitied more than everyone is the believer who gets to heaven and finds out he's not there. <laughs> He said, that's the worst you could, the the person who deserves the most pity is if you have put your faith in God, and God's not real. But if God is real, which he is, and he has loved us by sending his son, which he has, and we've received salvation from him for eternal life, which is there available for us, then we can always thank him. And so that verse we looked at, which says, um, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstance. If the only thing we can thank the Lord for is that we're saved, then thank him with all your heart. So I'd love us to do that. Let's just stand where we are. And if you know the Lord, if you've received his salvation, then just in your own words now, thank the Lord with all your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you that you are kind. I thank you that you have shown me your mercy. The I didn't deserve me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, you are good. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you, you are good. I thank you, you are kind. That even though the world is broken and life is hard, Still, you loved us enough that you sent your Son to die for us, to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from unrighteousness, to pour out your salvation on us and your mercy towards us, that you do heal, you do raise the dead, you do provide for our needs according to your riches in glory. And that when life is hard, you bring alongside us brothers and sisters who love us, who walk the road with us, we don't fall down alone, but we're picked up by those who you have sent to us. Lord, I pray for us as a family, that we would be that to each other. Lord, I pray for your grace and mercy, Lord, for, for empathy uh, for one another, that we would understand beyond what is natural, the pain of others, and we would love well and respond to those in need. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen well, we could end with a song or we could all go home. So let's, uh, let's do that. Uh, <laughs> everyone wants a song. Leave them wanting more. That's a good principle. So come back next week and we will sing a song. <laughs>